Glad you are here with us uh, today as we celebrate uh, Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of the month. We have communion together. You should be able to see those little cups if they're right in front of your seats there towards the bottom. There's those little circles. They probably put those cups. If you're sitting in the front row, they're right there. If you're missing one, uh, uh, reach over and take your neighbors. No, don't do that. No, that would be bad. That's probably bad. Don't say that. Patrick, no. All right. I'm just kidding you. Well, it's good to be with you this morning and um, so grateful we can come together. Um, God is so good to us as Michael was say, you know, saying earlier, just how good it is that we can gather together one another in the body of Christ like this. I do have a few announcements. Um, the first one is uh, today is Jason Lucas's mom. Jason Lucas, for I think most of you know, but Becky, Jason Lucas. Jason also plays the drums. You've seen him up here before. Um, his mom went to be with the Lord, uh, 66 years old. She had a, a, a brain aneurysm. Um, it burst, and she went to be with the Lord last, well, last week. So today we're going to be having her funeral service at 2 o'clock. It's going to be at, I know a lot of people have been asking, we sent an email out, but it's, it's at Parthamore. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Parthamore Funeral Home. It's a celebration of life, and they would like to invite the whole fellowship and everybody to come out. I mean, if you didn't know Anna, she was so sweet and is sweet with Jesus right now. You know Jason, and we want to come alongside the family. It's at 2 p.m., okay? And it's at 1303 Bridge Street in New Cumberland. That's where Parthamore is, and uh, we're going to be having a celebration of life service, um, and it is something that uh, uh, is always Hard for us on this side, but wonderful for Anna, and we celebrate that she is with Jesus Christ, and we know that for all certainty. So amen, amen, amen. The other uh, beautiful news that we um, received was uh, on Friday, we were notified via email that uh, the PennDOT, the highway occupancy permit, was approved. So praise God. Yeah, I know we've been sort of waiting for that, and uh, God is, timing is perfect. So um, that's wonderful. And there was no additional things that they required, so that also was answered prayer. Um, so um, we're just waiting on our septic DEP permit, and uh, Lord willing, we should have that. If, if God goes before us, please, please be praying in the next 30 days. Um, and once we have that, then the groundbreaking will happen. So you'll probably see an email from us anywhere if the Lord should lead this way and everything is approved as God would have it. Uh, in the next 30 days, we'll be gathering over um, by the site, uh, the, 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 basically the new building <laughs> lands, uh, and we're going to be praying together. And, and I really want to just have us, we've done this every time the Lord has led us, we're just going to hold hands, we're going to get in a big circle, because that land is dedicated unto the Lord. That's holy ground. That's holy ground. And so we're going to hold hands, we're going to pray, we're going to pray for our neighbors, we're going to pray for everybody in that area. It's wonderful. And, um, and then I think shortly thereafter, uh, the reason we're also praying for our neighbors is because of the sound. I think thereafter there's going to be big machinery that comes through there. And um, all, all of us when we were boys, I don't know, maybe some girls when we were young, we love those bulldozers. And you get in there and, you know, I just picture a big sand kind of thing. Like, so um, I guess dirt ball, whatever the word is, sand, dirt. I don't know. It's all going to be awesome. It's just awesome. When you get to move dirt like that, it's like, ah. I don't know, some of you know that Tim Allen show, you know, whatever he used to say. That's what I think of. So 
Well, now that I've completely embarrassed myself, let's bow our heads and we'll pray together. <laughs> Father, I thank you for um, your faithfulness because I am just completely inadequate and a mess all the time, Lord. And uh, you have just blessed your flock um, with your word. And we're here today to hear your word. Uh, Lord, we gather because you are God and there is no other. Uh, we agree to that, Lord Jesus, and we pray... Um, Lord, that you would open and just illuminate uh, your word, anoint your word here for us this morning. We do pray for the Lucas family, Lord. Uh, we know that it is, it is wonderful that Anna's with you, Jesus. We are celebrating that. We're going to celebrate that today, Lord. It's upon all of us to do that, just as the early church did. And um, But also, Lord, for her family, I know that um, it, it, it's, it's difficult, Lord, because, um, you know, just like us, we miss her. Um, but we know, we know she's where she's supposed to be, Jesus. We know you don't make mistakes in those things. But it is hard for us here. So please, I pray, pour out your peace upon the Lucas family. Pray, pour out your peace, peace upon the bride of Christ here this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we go through these words, speak again to our hearts so perfectly about what, uh, what you want us to understand and, and learn. But, but also, Lord, minister to our hearts wherever we're at, whatever we're going through. Um, and let us just rejoice in your holy name. We pray and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I don't know where sand came from. Dust, ball, sand, I don't know. Well, as we turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22, we've come as far as verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, I would uh, ask you to raise your hand and one of the ushers or elders will bring you a Bible. That's Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Last we left in the passage here um, is Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which he instituted was a new covenant, a covenant in, in perfect, um, in his perfection. And we read about that in verses 14 through 21. It'll actually be our passage this morning for communion. So God is good to us in the way that he's been bringing us through us. But then uh, something happened at the end of that because we know that the betrayer was at hand, Judas, Judas Iscariot. Many of you know his name. Um, you know, Jesus said, but woe to the man, you know, certainly this was God's plan, but woe to that man that would, that would be, you know, turn around and, and betray Jesus Christ to that, that be part of, of this rejection. And from that point, uh, I imagine at the table, they probably were all questioning, you know, who is it? And, and in some ways in self-defense, I think many of them, when we read passage, you know, the passage in verse 24 through 28, we think, I think at a first glance, oh, they must be bragging and boasting and prideful again. That's probably what they're doing, just like the boys were doing earlier. But that's, that's really not the context or the case here. What I believe they were doing, and you, you be Bereans, is if, if somebody came to you and said, hey, you're going to betray or, hey, you're going to do this, and your heart was like, no, no, I'm not, you'd, you'd be saying, no, Lord, I love you. I'm, no, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do these things. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You'd, you'd almost go into, like, self-defense mode. Mode. You'd kind of go into that mode, and that's exactly what they do. And they start to dispute among themselves which should be considered the greatest. In other words, what they're saying is, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Lord, you know I've been with you since the beginning. And what, in essence, what are they doing? They're kind of boasting. They're kind of lifting themselves up, in, in essence, in pride. And say, Lord, not me, not I. You know, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not, you know, somebody would say, I'm not, you know, maybe a lady would say, I'm not that gal. Well, these apostles that are gathered, I'm not that guy. And so it looks like they were, they were boasting in that way. But in essence, it was really motivated out of self-defense to defend their, you know, their testimony and who they were. 
And then right after that, we come to verse 31. And this is why it's so important because, and I believe in context, this is why it says, this is why I believe that. Because in verse 31, Jesus is going to turn to Peter. And and he's going to say, Simon, Simon. And so, you know, God's going to use repetition there to, to, to let us know that he's, he's, he's in some way correcting, rebuking, or warning Peter here, okay? Simon, obviously his name, Peter, uh, you know. And what he's going to be saying to him is, is, hey, Peter, no one's arrived. Be careful here because Satan himself is actually asked for you by name. And by the way, when you look at the Greek, he didn't just ask for some of you. He didn't just say, hey, let me have a little of you. He asked for every atom of your body. That's what the Greek means. It's literally every aspect of who you are. All of you. He wants you. And it's such strong language. And he's saying that, you know, he wants to consume you that way. Destroy you. And I imagine this in that room as as they're hearing this, even the other disciples, that probably had to be a little bit hard to take in because here they are. And Peter just chapters before said, Lord, I'll die before I ever deny you. And I really believe Peter Peter believed that. I, I don't think Peter was just giving lip service. I believe Peter honestly believed that in his heart. But really, if we're honest with each other this morning, no one. Not one of us really knows what we would do in that moment of crisis. We need to pray that the Lord would strengthen us and meet us, that we would never, ever deny him. But I learned a long time ago to never say, I'll never do that. Because right about the time I say I'm never going to do it is right about the time I start doing it. And so anybody's walked with Christ long enough, you start to understand this is just wisdom. So let's begin here in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Boy, these are sobering words, aren't they? Humbling words. Right in verse 31, Simon, Simon. Luke's gospel alone records this account. Luke's gospel alone focuses on the humanity of the God-man. And so there's this beautiful human element and moment that's happening between Jesus and Peter, just like it happens between you and I and the Lord, where he looks inside our hearts, he sees everything, and that conversation begins to happen. He tells us those things that maybe we don't even want to believe ourselves, the things we're capable of. Yes, we're born again. Yes, we're saved but we're capable of being and executing monstrosities, terrible things. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. The idea when it says asked for you, if you underline the idea in the Greek there, it's actually plural. 
okay, if, not to get too much into the Greek construction with you all this morning, but the idea is he has asked for all of you, every morsel, every atom, every part of your being. If you remember back, if you've read the book of Job, you know that Satan would come and he would say, hey, well, God went to Satan and said, hey, Job, if you see my servant, there's none like him, right? He says, well, that's because Job is wealthy, because Job has health. That's because Job has been prospered on this earth. And Satan says, well, if you allow me to afflict his family, his children, then you'll see he will say, curse God and die. Remember, remember that? If you've read that or if you're not familiar, you can read the book of Job. And God allows. God allows that testing. And certainly we see that uh, Job does not. Does not say that. At one point, even his wife comes and says, why don't you just say curse God and die? In this idea that Satan is our adversary. He's looking to seek and destroy all of us. And to sit here this morning and think that we don't have an enemy, well, friends, that's foolish. I mean, it, it would be akin to sending a soldier out into battle without recognizing they're in a war. Go out there. Go ahead. Have at it. But don't bring any armament. Don't put on the full armor of Christ. Don't put on the full armor of God. Wouldn't we think that's foolish? Well, it's the same thing here. He, he's letting him know that, look at Satan has asked for you, Peter, Simon. And he's asked for you not only by name, but he wants all of you. He is saying he wants to destroy you because you have an echoing pride. I will never. He's familiar with I wills, Satan. Isaiah chapter 14, five times. I will, and then ultimately I will be like the God most high. Satan's very comfortable with saying, I will. He says he wants to sift you as wheat. That also gives us additional detail here, and especially in the Greek with the idea of sifting and what that meant. When you were working um, uh, with wheat that way, and you were going to sift it, you were separating the kernel, the chaff, from the wheat. There's a portion of that that's valuable, the wheat. You can make wheat germ. You can make cereals out of it. You consume it. You eat it. We make breads out of wheat today. We understand flour when it's finely milled and ground, right? But there's a portion of the chaff that's very, uh, if you've ever eaten the chaff, you can even put the chaff in your teeth. You kind of bite on the side of it. But it's like a kernel. It doesn't break down. It's very hard. It's, it's not something you could consume, and nor would you want to. It's really good for nothing in that way, other than maybe protecting that germ of wheat. So that when that wheat comes, that you could then break that wheat down. What Satan is asking for here specifically in all of Simon, by saying all of Simon, he's saying he wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to separate that which is not useful. He doesn't care about that. He wants to go after what is valuable in you. That's where Satan wants to attack you. The things that are holy and pure and righteous and valuable, that's the way he wants to come against you. And he wants to consume all of you and destroy you in that. He wants to remove any righteousness, any holiness, any purity, any truth. You know the parable that we hear of Jesus when he talks about the sower and, and the ground and the, 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 
akin to the heart, the fertile ground, right? The heart. And he talks about how when he casts the seed, the word of God, and how the fowler, the bird of the air, representing Satan, comes in. And what's he want to do? He wants to destroy and take that seed. He wants to remove the very thing that is good and holy and pure from you, from me. He wants to take the word of God out of our hearts. He wants to take our hope. He wants to take our love. He wants to take all those good things that Christ has put in us to sustain us in the Christian walk in life. And I'm so grateful for verse 32 because I have a God that says, but, and so do you. Because if he was going to do this for Peter, if he was willing to do this for Simon, he's willing to do this for you and I as sons and daughters of the living God. But, he says, I have prayed for you. Isn't that wonderful? That you and I have Jesus Christ right now in heaven, seated or standing at the right hand of the Father that is constantly interceding for us in prayer to our heavenly Father. I can't think of anything more comforting at this moment to know that the living God is praying for us and the strength for us and to pray against the wiles and the fiery darts of the devil. It's not like, good luck, I hope you fare well. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no. He's saying, I'm praying for you. I love you. And I'm here for you. And he's warning us, low. Don't be ignorant to the warfare of this life. Don't just account it to a coincidence. Realize there is absolutely a battle afoot. He says that your faith should not fail. That's ultimately what the quest is for the enemy. He wants to rob you of the joy that you and I can have in our faith in Christ Jesus. Because once he destroys your faith, well, then you no longer will praise God. He thinks you're going to praise him. He thinks you're going to worship him. As a matter of fact, you and I will be raptured out in the last of the last days, right before the great tribulation. But during the great tribulation, three and a half years in the middle of it, we've been talking about it. We've been in Daniel chapter 9. We've been in those passages that we read that the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, will turn around and he will go in and he will desecrate the temple by declaring himself to be God. And there will be people and nations that will actually worship him. That even says that there will be nations and people that will take his mark, a mark of the beast, so that they can buy and sell and trade. And maybe there's some type of protection that will come with that. It's always been an attack of faith. And the battle is a crisis of faith. And what God wants us to know is there may be difficulty, trials, tribulations. But the thing we need to guard the most with the shield, the armor of God, is our faith. Because it's foundational and pivotal to be able to walk out the Christian life we have before us. And it should never be compromised. And when you have returned to me, I think that's very interesting. For Peter, I, I, I bet after he denied him three times, he, in all of his despair and sorrow, I know if I was Peter, I would have been thinking about the rest of those words, but 
when you return to me. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. Nobody's arrived. I'm going to blow it. You're going to blow it. But when you come back, when you write your heart, when you repent from your sin, when you seek Jesus Christ in reconciliation, God is able to forgive, to restore, and to rebuild. He says, when you have returned to me, because by the way, I'm not done with you yet. Aren't you glad that when you blow it, God doesn't say, well, you're on the shelf now, right? You're, no, you're of no use to me. Aren't you glad he doesn't say that? I'm so glad that the Lord says, when you return to me, I still have work for you to do. I still have a gospel that needs to be shared. I still have ministry for you to do. And the first thing I want you to do, Simon, Peter, now that you're emptied out, now that you've gone through this required course, this isn't an elective of life. This is a required course. Now that you've sat through this required course, now that you've learned this lesson, this humbling lesson of brokenness, when you look to your brother or your sister, you won't look at them and be on a sin hunt and say, what are you doing? How, well, who do you think you are? Well, blah, 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 you know, on and on and on, just, just beating them down, berating them down. He says, no, you're going to identify yourself and you're going to look right across that table and you're going to say, that was me and that could be me. And there's a humility in that. And you know what you're going to do at that point? You're going to look at that person. You're going to draw them back to Jesus Christ. You're going to strengthen them. That's exactly what Simon did. His whole ministry changed. This is not the same Simon Peter, right? At this moment, he's being corrected. He's being rebuked. Being, in some ways, even exhorted. But in just a few short chapters, or chapter here or so, in this actual area, chapter, sorry, forgive me, 22, he's going to turn around and do what? He's going to actually deny Christ. He's going to have a point where I believe he looked across the courtyard and he looked into the eyes of Jesus Christ. I believe that, okay? You be Bereans. I believe that. If you knew um, the, the court and the way it was set up and he was able to see and he's outside, there's no way that he's just looking, you know, I believe as he was being brought out and across, as he's going to be brought to the trial, he locked eyes. Because at that very moment, Peter recognizes this is exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about. And it's just as he said. But strengthen your brethren. Build up. Don't tear down. That doesn't mean you don't preach truth. You preach truth. You don't compromise. People are going to call you negative. People are going to say evil and wicked things against you. Pay it no mind. Stand in the gap. But don't forget to put on the joy of Christ and rejoice as well. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Uh, humility is needed here, I, I think. Uh, I believe we see that. Um, I think he's got some self-confidence here when I read this. 
And you know what God's going to do out of love? He's going to remove that pride. He's going to allow this to happen to remove any bit of pride at that moment that Peter, Simon has. And that's actually a gift. It doesn't feel like it, does it? When we go through those trials, it certainly does not feel like it. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster, he even gives him details. So not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, a money bag, knapsack and sandals, and did you lack anything? It seems like, where did this come from? He's just talking to Peter. He's, he's exhorting him. He's kind of correcting him. But then he jumps into this. No, what he's doing is he's explaining right now to the disciples and the apostles after this very intimate moment that the pattern of ministry is about to change. Because of the new covenant that was just ushered in by Jesus Christ, and about what he's about to do on the cross at Calvary, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection, that the pattern of ministry isn't, is going to change. If you remember, while he was physically with them, they didn't lack a single thing, did they? They didn't lack anything. And he told them not to actually bring anything else with them when they would go out as they were to do ministry. But as we read here, he says, now when I'm ascended into heaven, when I have gone... He says, the pattern of ministry is going to look different for you boys. It's going to look different for the church. This is what the new pattern or model of ministry should look like for the church. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, and knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garments and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it, it's enough. You know, I can let the video run in my mind and see Jesus going, you're missing the point. Yes, but that's not the point here. The point was, is while he was there, they lack nothing, but this great change because of the ascension into heaven, the model is going to be different. And now go out with an extra you know, pair of shoes, right? It's not wrong to do that. It's not a lack of faith to do that. Because he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack, right? And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. He's not saying, I want you to go on the aggressive here and go out and start wielding the sword. Peter's going to get a talking to here in the garden in a minute, right? That's not what God had planned. But he is also explaining that there are going to be evils and things that are going to come. And as Christians, we have every, I, I won't just say every opportunity, but I will say every responsibility to defend ourselves. And that's what Jesus Christ is talking here in defense. That if there was someone coming to harm or hurt a loved one, yourself, I think many of us guys probably would say, whatever, right? But if they were coming to hurt one of our children or our wives, no. No. We have a responsibility to defend our loved one that God has entrusted to us. Pastors of your home, men, ladies, if you're alone and you need to defend yourself that way, I, the Lord wants you to do that. I understand there's 
you know, some churches out there anymore. I think they're still out there. I think most of them are catching on. But uh, I, I think there are some that still maybe subscribe pacifism, right? And certainly we're not an aggressor. But it's not a sin to defend yourself. If somebody was trying to harm your loved one, you have every right to defend them and defend yourself for that matter. And we see it right here. This is what he's talking about. He says, let him sell his garment and buy one. He, you understand a garment in those days, if you had two, you were very wealthy. You were, you were well-to-do. Most people just had a single outer robe, and then they may have one or two inner garments that you would wear. Uh, but in those days, you didn't have, like, multiple wardrobes like we have today, you know? And so he was saying, hey, you would sell maybe one of your inner garments, still keep the outer one, but the inner one, and you would buy this because he's basically saying the days are coming where self-defense is going to be needed. And I don't think any of us have to be convinced of that today and the things that we're seeing in some of these larger cities and the things that have been going on where, you know, it's chaos. I see older men and women just walking their dog or walking the street and people coming up and just harming them for no reason. They don't even know them. In Manhattan, there was just an episode last week. You know, somebody jumps out of a car. An 80-year-old woman is just standing there. She's not doing anything. And the guy just literally hits her so hard that he knocks her unconscious right on the concrete, gets in his car and drives away. There was no motive. There was no reason. It's just pure evil and wickedness. Woman was just in a one of the states, another state. She was just jogging. 33 years old, I believe she was. Just out jogging at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. And car comes and pulls up near a college town, throws her in the vehicle, and they just take off. And she's a mother of two. Her husband calls, you know, about 7 o'clock, calls the police and says, my wife hasn't returned home. We don't. And then on camera, they caught and saw this vehicle come up and just they abduct this 33 in broad daylight, you know, slightly dark, I guess, at 430. But you could still see we're seeing horrific things like that today. And we have a we have a, a lot of people that are, are telling us that we should forsake self-defense, that we should trust other people to protect us. It's not going well, right? It's not going well. I, I, I think the Lord was telling us something here. Be watchful. Be ready. Self-defense, okay. Again, not looking to be the aggressor. You're, that's not what he's calling us to do. He goes on to say, um, For I say to you, this is which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered. He's drawing it back to what's about to happen. That the fact that this is biblical, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, that he is to suffer and die. He's the suffering servant, as scripture calls him. For the things concerning me have an end. This is going to come to an end. Death, burial, there's going to be a resurrection coming. Then there's this new model for ministry. So pay attention to this. So they said, Lord, look, we have two swords. They... Maybe they tried to reassert Jesus. Look, we, have, we already have two. And he just looks at him. He's like, boys, that's not the point right now. It's enough. It's, it's fine. He wasn't going to, uh, you know, his conversation was going nowhere at that point. I think he just was like, okay, let's, let's move on. Verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, 
That's, again, across the Kidron Valley on the eastern side of Jerusalem, if you know Israel or you've been to Israel, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, that's interesting, underline that in Scripture. This is apparently a place they would meet often and pray. He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, it is, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, the definite article, right? The cup or this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will, yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly that then in his, his sweat became like great drops of blood, like, not as, falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So these are the last moments, last moments before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to be taken to an illegal trial beaten, spit upon, mocked, and then crucified for my sin. Jesus was put on the cross because of my sin. He was put on the cross because of our sin. Not just our sin today, but even the sin that we will do in the future, past, present, and future. And so, again, he comes out, he goes to this place, you know, John 18 kind of tells us it's, it's a familiar place here. This garden, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. That The idea behind this, this garden, is uh, it was known as the place of olive pressing or the place of pressing. Um, they would get a lot of oil. There's an olive, there's olive trees, different things like that. Um, and it gives us the picture of what is about to happen to Jesus Christ, that he is going to be pressed down as an olive wood, the pressure that is about to come upon him, which explains when he's praying why it said it was like drops of blood. This is an incredible amount of pressure that I don't think any of us can truly understand and appreciate. But it's fitting for where he goes to pray is what the place was known for. And he looks at them and he says, um, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He, he's going to spend the night there with Peter, James, and John. And then he's going to ask them to pray, and he's going to say, I want you to be prayed up for what's about to happen. And this is an important exhortation for the Christian. Before we ever do anything, and I mean anything, we need to be prayed up. We don't find ourselves in a trial and then begin to pray. We pray before we even enter the trial. And that way we're ready for what the Lord, I don't know if we're ever truly ready, you understand, with tribulation. But we're at least in a place where we can be ministered to by the Lord and our heart and our eyes are on Jesus so he can direct our steps because we're in communion with him. Prayer is communication. It's conversation with God. And he tells them to converse with the Father right now and ask for protection that you don't fall into temptation. What temptation? He doesn't limit it to temptation. And he was withdrawn from the, about a stone thrown away. And he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup. He's saying, Lord, if there is another way, 
He wasn't saying, I, Lord, I'm not willing to do this, or Lord, I don't want to do this. No, we know Jesus was willing to do this. He gives up his spirit. This was his you know, choice and decision that way. He was not forced to do anything. But he's saying, Lord, this cup, what cup? The cup of wrath. The cup of wrath that I deserve and every human being deserves because we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned and the wages of sin, according to scripture, Romans 6.23, is death. And that's what we all deserve. And I can't imagine what this was like for a perfect, sinless God-man to face the sin of the world upon him. In, in a way to not, this is something that his father, our father in heaven, couldn't go through with him. He, as the God-man, the son, would take this upon himself. And he did it because he loves us. Because he wants to spend eternity with us. Because he doesn't want our sin and our wickedness and the evil of this world. He doesn't want us to, to separate us from him because he loves us. He thinks about us all the time. He prays for us all the time. You know, if you ever feel lonely or you ever feel separated. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in. Or maybe you're feeling so disconnected from this world because so much, so much has changed from when maybe you were younger or it's good to meditate on these passages of scripture and just remember you're not alone that you and Jesus are a multitude and he's holding you in his hand and his heart and he's just loving you and if we just slow down long enough to let him do that and to just marinate in that love we will come away different and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He, he makes it very clear, Lord, please. I don't want anything to interrupt your plan. My life is not my own. He was the perfect example for us. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven. Notice that God the Father doesn't say a single word, does he? Not a single word is, is, is uttered. It's complete silence. What's that tell you and I? That there's no other way. Sometimes we pray to the Lord, Lord, will you show me, Lord? And sometimes there's silence, and we think maybe, God, you're not hearing me. No, he hears us. Sometimes the answer is no. And rather than saying, I already told you, <laughs> he just stays silent, and he just begins to comfort us. And sometimes he too will send an angel to minister to us. How do we know, Scripture says, if we've even entertained angels? in our very presence. And I just love this perfect submission. Hold your finger here. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter 5, verse 21. That's to the right in your New Testament. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. I love verse 20 where it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Isn't that his desire? For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so many people leave off that last, those last two words, in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. In him. Everything has to be in Christ, not in ourselves. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, yes, he was, because he was human and he's divine, he prayed more earnestly. He prayed three times, as a matter of fact, the same prayer. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It describes the, the dilation, the sweat, the, 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 just the pressure. Just like picture that olive press coming down and squishing. And out comes this olive oil. The weight of sin coming upon our Lord and Savior. And out comes these droplets of sweat that would be like blood. It is not blood, but like blood. And when he arose, it's again a beautiful illustration there, a difficult illustration, I should say it that way. And he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter in temptation. Friends, pray, you're going to need help and strength. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? We know in John's Gospel, John chapter eighteen ten actually tells us it was Peter. You know, and we know that Peter took off Malchus's, that's where we also, his ear. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard the joke, you know, if maybe if he wasn't sleeping for so long, he wouldn't have been so tired that maybe, because I'm sure Peter was not aiming for his ear. I'm sure he probably was aiming for his head. And so, you know, people say, oh, you know, if he wasn't so sleepy, he would have, you know, decapitated him and... You know, I don't, you know, I've, I've even done that in the past, but I, I don't find this to be a laughing matter. This is such a sober point. What did Jesus say? This model of prayer, this model of ministry, this model for the church, it's after he ascends into heaven. But not while he was there, while he was physically present on earth. He said, did you ever lack anything? Did you lack he says, they said, no, we lack nothing. So one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Isn't that beautiful? I believe Malchus came to salvation. I do. I, I, when he, 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 how do you reconcile that? Something so traumatic. And then you, you stop to realize that Lord, I'm on the wrong side. And even though I'm on the wrong side, you're still showing mercy to me. I came to arrest you. I came to, to bring you to the courts. And all you want to do is heal me. Help me. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple and the elders who came to him, 
Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you daily in the temple and you did not try to seize me? Or did you didn't try to seize me? But this is your hour. And the power of what? Darkness. It's another time. But you're seeking darkness and the cover of night to do these things. I think we'll stop there this morning.